God is good and he is faithful. Isn't he faithful? I feel like uh, actually this winter, I feel like there's maybe two categories of Christians. There was uh, one category that loves the Lord and has been believe, praying and believing God, but, but not necessarily, because um, I don't want to judge anyone, so I want to be very careful of my words, but not necessarily looking for anything to happen, if that makes sense. They love the Lord. They're believers, but they're just not expecting. They're just going along with life. And then there's this other category that was very expectant this year, very, uh, like, just ready and excited for what God was about to do. And God loves both categories. Remember, God loved Judah and he loved Israel, right? Even when one would go off, he had, you know, he loved them both, and then they would even war with, these, with, with each other. But God loved all of Israel, right? And so God loves those that aren't even expecting for his coming. He still loves them. It's not ever about his love, his love and his grace and mercy. But the category that was looking and expecting, um, what I sense in my spirit is that with a lot of what's happened in the last six months is a, a faith crusher, and it's taken a lot more to have faith than it did six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, or whatever your time frame is. But um, this is a moment right now where I believe that the Lord actually did speak around Christmas. I don't know if he spoke to everyone, but I believe this was a word that many had felt. But I'll just tell you what I had felt. I feel like the Lord had said, wait, just wait and see. And I know that there were others. I just don't know across the world if that's like a lot, a lot of people or if that was something he just said to us. But that's what I felt like the Lord had said to us, just wait. And then as we're now, just as even, just like winter, there's a dormancy and there's a deadness to the, to, in the natural, but the buds are starting to come out. Um, I, I cut a tree, we had these two bushes that overwhelmed our front porch, and we redid our front porch last year, so to Dawn's shock, she came home, and I had hacked the bushes down to, from like nine feet tall, they were just way too huge to like three feet tall, and I said, don't worry, they'll come back, well, they never came back at all last year, but I knew it's an extremely hardy, it's called a fire bush, has anybody ever seen that, you know, you see them, they're like a hot fuchsia pink red color, when they, when they fully bloom. Um, but I said, don't worry, it'll come back. And sure enough, I went and looked at it yesterday. I actually had to trim it again. Dawn doesn't know that yet, but I actually trimmed it again because uh, the buds are already now like sprouting so ferociously and it's like excited to grow because it's springtime and we've had good moisture. And anyway, I feel like in the spirit of God that some things have been dormant. He had even made us wait and um, this is not political, but some of it is political because we live in this nation. But I believe that the Lord, there's going to be some springing forth. There's going to be some buds that have been hidden inside. You know, that, that life was in there all along. You just couldn't see it. But if you had looked at it, you would have thought, he killed it. It's dead. And yet what was in there was life, and it's about to spring. It's about to bud. I think the Lord's about to do some things in us. And in this next time uh, that we need to be excited about and to begin to pray a little bit differently now, to begin to actually, uh, I almost had to, I kind of, I went on a fast actually just 
didn't even tell anybody, just all, only a couple people knew, but just to make sure that in the waiting I hadn't grown cold, because sometimes you don't know. I was just like, Lord, I don't think I'm far from you, but I just want to just be sure. And I do feel closer to him just by fasting anytime. Anytime you do it, you grow closer to him. Um, but what I kind of felt in the, in the weeks of it was not that I was cold, but that it was the Lord who kind of just had been working behind the scenes, and that now it's time to begin to pray a little bit differently and to begin to focus, and that it was a purpose. And we don't necessarily understand the whole purpose of what's happening in the winter, right? In the deadness. Sometimes you just have to just, you know, uh, you know, they used to just prepare, prepare, prepare all year in the old times, and then you just lived off of hopefully you had stored enough food and uh, you had done enough preparations, and then you just make it through the winter, right? That's what they used to do. It was literally just a survival time until finally you could start growing again and being out and about, and they were kind of like cooped up in their homes and cabins. You know, they didn't have malls to go to to break free, you know, from that kind of winter captivity. Um, but the Lord is... is is freeing. He's breaking some things, I really believe, in this next time. And so we must remember some things. And I want to encourage you today that we are not alone, that God is with us. And, and, and as a, a preacher, preaching a book that is, some of the scriptures are 4,000 years old and some are 2,000 years old. So if you could ever accuse a pastor of preaching the same thing over and over again, well, I guess you could blame God for that, for writing a book that's 4,000 years old, and we're still preaching it today. So it's not things you don't know, but they're things I want to remind you of today. And as I began to seek the Lord, I kind of was uh, a little bit empty in, in not knowing where he wanted to go. And um, I feel like the Lord just started just downloading very quickly and actually very powerfully some things. And even building on last week, if you were here last week or if you listened to the podcast, it talked about how, you know, we have in the armed forces here in the U.S. that we never leave a man behind and that Jesus does not leave us behind. He's not leaving us behind. He didn't leave us behind. And I want to springboard right from that into this. John chapter 14, verse 18. John 14, verse 18 says, No, I will not abandon you. The Bible says that Jesus gave us a promise that we are not abandoned. And I actually had a revelation from the Lord this morning, just in prayer. I just put everything aside. I didn't bring my Bible outside. And I said, I'm not even going to come with any intentions. I'm not even praying for anything specific. I just want to pray. And I didn't expect anything dramatic. Uh, not that I wasn't expecting him to be there. But I feel like the Lord actually dropped something in my spirit, which is that our faith is shaken, but it's actually so deep that it's in our subconscious, we're not even aware of it. I actually had this revelation that it's, it actually, it's this human, I've been talking a lot about this this year, and I didn't expect this from God, but we have this protection that God has built into our DNA, which is, um, that we tried to normalize. I called it normalcy bias, right? There's other terms for it. Some terms are kind of like fight or flight as well, too. Your, your body is designed to try to it handles situations differently, but that there is a 
something that bypasses even your thinking and your body begins reacting for you. And what happens is, is we try to make the best of every situation. I talked about that movie Defiance, right? The story of the Jews who survived in World War II. They went into the woods and they were able to survive for a couple of years. Uh, and 1,200, 1,200 Jews uh, lived, survived uh, out there in the woods uh, during World War II. And the interesting thing was, is they didn't just survive, you know, and and gather food each day and, and stay away from the Nazis that were trying to hunt them down and kill them continually. But the interesting thing was is that they built homes out of logs, and they even built schools, and even had times of worship, and even had formal-style weddings there in the woods. That's all history. And it's because of that this thing in our nature that wants to try to make the best of every single situation. We might sulk for a little while, um, but there is this thing inside of us. You don't even know it's happening, but you're trying to, uh, you just don't want to know about what's going on. Or even if you're aware, you kind of, we just start glossing it over. It may take some time, but we just start ignoring what's going on. And so uh, I believe that the Lord just showed me that we are, we need to really, like it's deep inside of us, there's faith that has been, Almost the enemy has successfully kind of glossed it over a little bit. We kind of put it to the side just a little. I don't mean in a harsh way. And again, he spoke to me, so maybe this is not to you. <laughs> but that it was kind of put to the side. And not in, and again, not in a bad way. And in some ways, he told us to wait. I'm saying a lot, but I'm getting somewhere. Is that everybody okay so far? We're getting this. But that the Lord is going to start to reignite that thing inside of us again and ignite that faith again. And we're going to be excited to serve the Lord this year and excited. You know, some of it was just, it is what it is. Like I said, some of it's just wintertime. And, and some of it is, you know, that our, our, we did the best we could. You know, that's kind of what you do in a hard situation. You just make the best of it. But what's happened is, is now the enemy has some positions of power that he's not supposed to have. And that's in homes, that's in, that's in the kingdom of God, that's in this nation. And, and some of it is what it is. I'm not, we're not, I'm not trying to condemn us, or the Lord's not either, but that it's time to, it's going to start to rise up and remember some things, that the Lord is with us, we are not alone, and he gave us a promise. He says, I will come to you. And what happened is, is he spoke this in John 14 because the disciples were about to experience something within a matter of, really, of days that they wouldn't know how to process if he didn't tell them this. And we know that Jesus was led to the cross and crucified, and they wondered what happened. They wondered, you know, just as we celebrated last week, that Jesus did die. But for a moment, they felt abandoned, and they felt like orphans. They felt that way, but Jesus had given them a promise, and he said, I will come to you. He says, verse 19, soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And he says in verse 23, 
All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them. And we will come and make our home with each of them. I, verse 27, am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. What it says here in John is he says, I'm not going to leave you, I'm going to come to you, and what I'm giving to you is actually a gift. I'm giving you a peace. I want you to have peace, and it's a twofold peace. One is the peace that you have because when he's there with us, but also is the peace that I want you to have. I'm going to give you a gift because there's going to be some time where you're going to be a little confused or we're going to seem separated or there's going to even, you could apply this throughout your life of the ups and downs of the valleys and the mountaintops, that in the times where it feels like we're far, the times where it feels like you're abandoned, I want you to rely on me. I want you to remember my promises. I'm going to supernaturally put inside you a gift of peace. He says, so don't be troubled or afraid. What is he trying to say to us? If he's telling, whenever God tells us not to do something, that means that the temptation would be to do it. Amen. If he says, don't be troubled or afraid, that means the temptation of what was about to come would be to be troubled and to be afraid. But he says, I'm going to give you a supernatural peace. In fact, he says it again in John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, I've told you all this. And he told them many things about things that were about to come. And, you know, Jesus, if he were here right now in the flesh, he would say, you know, I'm going to warn you about some things. The nation's going to change and the world's going to change and some things are going to happen. But I want you to know this. Have peace in me. Have peace in me. It's such a simple concept. And yet Jesus felt it was necessary to tell them to have peace in him. You would think if anybody would have got it after the three years of time with, with, with him, it would be the disciples, and yet he told the disciples, I need you, and I'm warning you uh, because I love you and because I'm telling you beforehand that you're going to have to find a place of peace in me because in the world, you're going to have a tough time finding it. Things are going to be strange. The world's going to change. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. This is such a simple sermon, and yet uh, it's, it can be applied just like Jesus told his, his disciples here in the book of John for the moment they were about to live. Jesus is speaking to us today. He says, on the earth, present tense, you will have trials and sorrows. That is this earth we live in, and we are in a time of trial. This whole earth, if you haven't looked around, and I think we have, the whole earth is in a time of trial. I don't know that it's the last trial. Many of us believe, right, that Jesus is coming soon, and so that we are ramping up. The book of Revelation is either opened or is going to be open soon, but if it's not, what Jesus told his disciples 2,000 years ago 
can apply to us today, whether it's the last trial or just a trial that we're in or just a tough time that we're in or a situation that we're in right now in this nation, and some things are changing every single day. They are changing so fast. Our rights and our freedoms in this nation, by the end of 2021, if it continues on this course, you will look back and you will not recognize the America you knew. It's only been, we are in month four, and technically this president's only been elected for three months. Things are changing so fast, it's shocking. It's shocking how fast are, are we all here. And so the Lord, we need to trust in him, but this is, this is what I want to get us to. I believe that the Lord is going to shake some faith in us, and we're going to begin to proclaim some things, and I want to preach a few things about that today. But no matter what happens, no matter who's the president, and no matter how much they are, are writing laws that oppose God, we need to know this. Jesus talked to his disciples in a time where there was Roman occupation. And they would have believed, well, Jesus died. We thought you were going to do it, but I guess we're going to do it. We're going to rescue this nation from this grip of this foreign enemy. And that never happened. In fact, Rome finally gets so disgusted with Israel, they said, forget it. You know what? We're not even going to occupy you. We don't even want to live here anymore. And they end up burning, you know, the city. They just burn it. There's this massive Jewish-Roman war. People die uh, in massive numbers, and the Jews are then scattered all over the world. And Jesus, don't you think he knew that that was going to happen? Do you think that he was aware that that was going to happen? In fact, he, does, he is aware because he says, I wish I could gather you. You know, like a, like a mother gathers her chicks, right? I wish I could gather you. He, he, Jesus could see it ahead of him, and he had sorrow for them. But this is what he told his disciples. I need you to understand something. In the world, it will look like everything is crumbling around you, and it will seem like there's no hope. But there's a peace that you can have in me that bypasses this earth. Now, we're going to still keep believing for this nation, this, this America. I told you in 2020, and I'm tell, reminding you again, I've been quiet a little bit about this nation because I feel like the Lord told me to not talk about America specifically, but I've been alluding to things for these few months, and I've been quiet, but I'm telling you again that I will fight and believe for the America that the Lord founded here in this land. But I need you to understand something even greater, that I am a son of the King of Kings, and so are you, and that our kingdom is not of this kingdom, and that he placed us in this land, which is amazing. I, I just, I love God so much, but I love him even more. Like Romans says, there's no excuse. How can you, there's no excuse because you, all you have to do is just look around, right? Romans 1, just, just look around and see what he has done and this beautiful land he's given us and this incredible world and the incredible freedoms we have. And yet, if all that crumbles, I'm going to have a peace, and we must have a peace in this nation. We must have a peace in the church. The church is going to have to get to a place of peace that if it doesn't go the way that we want it to, and even the way that we heard prophets prophesy, we need to understand this right now that we see in part, we see through shaded glass, the Bible says. I'm going to keep believing. I want you to know something. I'm not wavering in my faith. My faith is strengthening, but my faith is greater in Jesus Christ than it is in a flag. Amen. 
I will raise the flag of the United States up high, but I will raise the flag of Jesus Christ even above it. Amen. That Jesus warned us, just like he warned the disciples, that in the earth there will be trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. But this is what's interesting. His overcoming was not in the natural. Because if Jesus overcame the world, then the disciples who inherited his greatness and his name and his strength and his power, they should have had no problem standing up to the governments of that time. Instead, what I see is that every single one of them, and you can read through the historians, and this is not a, something I like to talk about or even like to think about, but that every single one of those disciples was martyred. Every single one of them was martyred. And Jesus said, I've overcome the world. The Bible says, do not fear those who can touch your body, but the one that can touch your soul. I'm paraphrasing the scripture, right? There's many translations, but basically, we don't worry about Satan and this earth and his kingdom. They can, might be able to kill the body, but the Lord is in charge over our soul, and it's seated already, present tense, come on, in Christ at the right hand of God today, already. And so as I was seeking the Lord, the Lord, all of a sudden, I had this, this it compounded into another level of the revelation that... We are alive in Christ right now, and that only we think about our bodies, but that the Lord doesn't. It's not that he doesn't care. It's just that it doesn't, it's almost like when Jesus said you have to hate your father and your mother, and we looked at that scripture some weeks ago. He obviously doesn't want you to hate your father and your mother, but that his love, right, is so great. Our, our connection to his love is so great that you can't even compare the earth, okay? So our life in Christ is eternal, and it began the moment that we got saved, we, <laughs> this is, it's such a crazy concept, yet it's so simple, yet it, our human mind just, it starts short-circuiting, it can't compute we are not alive in a human body right now. I know you're thinking you're crazy and you're looking around and saying, yeah, I am. I'm in a body and you're in a body. No, you're not. God does not live in time. Your body is living out the rest of time, but your spirit is already with Christ. But Christ is eternal. So how can you be living in a body that's temporal? And it's only because, you know, even science is already figuring out, come on, science, Einstein started to crack this code, and, and, and they're continuing. They're all, they're, we don't even know what they're doing behind the scenes, but come on, scientists today will tell you that time is much more circular than it is linear, right? We look at time in our human sense like this, in our dimension. But as, they're as science keeps unraveling, they're realizing time is much more circular, that they're, and, and that's... If I go to my Bible, Jesus says, I'm the beginning and the end, right? I'm the alpha and the omega. And, and it, then all of a sudden, science is starting to realize what he said all along, that I am who I am. I've, in other words, if you were to take the I am who I am and, and translate it into 2021 language, it means I've always existed. I exist, and I've always existed, and I will always exist. That doesn't make sense. And you have to understand something, that when we got saved, he took you 
and placed him from this temporary earth in him, which is eternal. And so your body will die and you will not die. I know that's a simple, co- you're like, hey, I, we know that. That's the whole thing, us coming to Christ. We don't die. We're, you know, our, our bodies die. And it's such a simple concept. And yet I feel like it needs to be said because our human mind, the Bible says we have faith, right? Because what do we do with our faith and how do we grow our faith? How do we encourage our faith, right? Is that we keep confessing, we keep believing. We need to get this concept in us because every time we shake, And every time we're afraid, and every time we have fear, and every time we doubt, what is actually happening is, is we are cleaving to this earth and cleaving to this human body. And we need to become separated from it. We need to become more and more separated from this earth. And yet, the Lord has a purpose for us here, so our voices will be loud for for the name of Jesus and for the kingdom of God as long as we can. As long as we have breath, we're going to be loud for Jesus. And yet, at the same time, if it seems like our lives are cut short and this nation doesn't go the way that we think it should and the kingdom of God translated into the Church of America changes in a way that we thought doesn't make sense, you must understand that we are in a kingdom that is heavenly and not earthly. It's not a national kingdom. It's not an American kingdom, but that our kingdom is heavenly and that right now, we have a peace that bypasses what we see, what we don't understand, etc. They didn't understand Jesus, and he was standing right in front of them. He was literally right in front of their faces, and they said, you're the devil. He, they didn't just say, you know, you're the carpenter's son. Sure, they said that too, but then they said, you work for Satan. And he stood right in front of them in the flesh. That shows us how obstinate and stubborn our human mind and that that blockade. There's literally a blockade. The Bible, literally, if you start to really study the scriptures, there's this wall that these blinders, just like what happened with Paul when he was prayed over, these blinders have to come off. We have to have a revelation and what happens when, that, when we have that revelation, what happens is, is this human condition, this human life, and this human body, it must become so secondary that it does not matter. That we stand for the Lord. Is everybody getting me? Are we okay? We must come into a place that he called us into into his peace. In fact, I want to just keep going here. He says in Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. Now, I love when the word repeats things. Who knows that if the word of God repeats something twice, it's important. Everybody say it's important, right? You know that old, the old, maybe some of you still read it, but You know, the old text would say, verily, verily, right? What he was doing was getting your attention. It's like, no, you're not paying attention yet. Hello, I'm talking. I need you to pay attention to this. You think you're paying attention, but you're not. You're going to forget. Even the disciples, even the disciples were disheartened. And and I almost preached that sermon, but I'll just mention it 
I like preaching that sermon on this day because it's post the resurrection. Remember, they forgot. Jesus came and he's like, how did you forget? I told you what was going to happen. I told you what was going to happen. I told you and I told you and I told you. You knew this would happen. Amen. And so the Lord's reminding us today. And he says, so he's telling us twice to have joy in the Lord. He said, I say it again, rejoice. Now, what does that mean? Okay, that's easy when things are good. Who knows? It's easy to have joy when there's joy in your life. Do you know what always means? Does anybody know what that word means in this church? That means no matter what. That means always. And he says, I say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Have peace in me, John 16, right? Have peace in me. When we don't understand, when things are dark, when things aren't going the way that we thought God would do it, I then have to close my human eyes and just look to him and focus on him. It's such a simple gospel, and yet it's so hard for our human nature to get. Peter had his eyes on the Lord, and he's literally walking on the wind and waves, right? The wind is blowing these waves up, and he's walking. And the Bible says that he began to look at the waves, and he began to sink. He did what was not possible. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? There is a peace. The Bible says... It's a piece, and I'm about to read it, but I'm just going to, I have to preach it. It surpasses our understanding. It's beyond logic. It's beyond time. It doesn't, your human body uh, is, is trying to protect itself. It's what it does. And God, in a way, designed it that way, but sometimes the human body is so protective that it even shields God out, and we must kill this thing, this flesh. This flesh right here, it becomes heavy. It becomes a burden, right? Because we become so caring about the way we feel and the way we think. And then, and then the world says things like, I deserve. And what about me? And, and what about mine? And, and, and they this and they that and, and me this, right? It becomes this very self, 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 self thing. We build our whole kingdom, in fact. Our entire idea, even the idea of success doesn't make sense makes sense unless you use people to compare it to. Does that make, do you guys understand that? Even the concept of success, if you didn't have anybody to compare it to, what would you use as a gauge? What would be success? What is peace? What is joy? What is hope? If you didn't have other people to look around and compare it to. And so, there is a place in God, and it, it sounds like I'm talking like fluffy, you know, like this is like I'm just talking like it's over our heads, like I'm talking about this, this supernatural place. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we got to get to that place. Okay, pastor, we just got to get there. I don't know how to get there. I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, we got to get to that place of peace. It's a place where our mind becomes so secondary, where we literally look and we see wind and we see waves, and yet we don't see them. Because I'm blinded because I've got Christ in front of me. Like Paul said, I've got the finish line ahead of me, and I'm, and I'm so focused on that. Meanwhile, my name, literally, it's not just the world that hates me. You realize that Paul had a lot of issues with Christians, too. If you really read his scriptures, 
goes on a lot about Apollos, by the way. This poor, poor Apollos and poor Paul. These two guys seem to, they were rubbing, rubbing <laughs> the wrong way a little bit. Start to read the scriptures, right? Who knows those scriptures? I guess no one does, just me. Right, but the, they're fighting a little bit in the scriptures. It wasn't just the world, but Paul's like, listen, you know, that's fine. You guys want to listen to Apollos, that's fine. You know, but then they're, they're kind of like rejecting him. He just had rejection everywhere he went. And he's constantly, it seems like when you read his verses, a lot of times it seems like he's on the defense. You know, and he's like, I'm not going to boast. And I'm not going to tell you about myself. But then in the next verses, I'm about to. And he's in chains. And he's being shipwrecked. And he's being beaten. And all these things. And yet he says, my eyes are on the finish line. That's my focus. My eyes are there in heaven, ahead. I'm looking because what I have come to the revelation of, guys, if I could, this is Paul now teaching his church, teaching me, teaching us. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that you look at me, a battered and bruised, beaten man, but I don't see myself this way. I see myself in my new glorified body, seated with Christ. I see beyond time, and so I also realize the shortness of this race. It's a very quick race. It's going to be quick. It's going to be over before we even realize it, and I'm making the most that I can of the breaths I have in my lungs. And so it says here in Philippians, he says, don't worry, verse 6, about anything. You know, I say these verses, and I know we all know these, and I have a plaque of this on my, in my office. In fact, by accident, we bought this twice. We bought two separate plaques because they both looked good. They were both in different writing, so they seemed like two different things until one day I was looking, and I looked, and I put Philippians 4 in my office twice. I guess the Lord really needed me to get it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Can you imagine a world, can you imagine a church that truly didn't worry about anything? Can we honestly, can we honestly sit here and say, I don't worry about anything? Because we say it, but then when there's an anything in our lives, we worry about it. <laughs> when anything comes up, we seem to worry. At least at first, even if we give it to him eventually. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Verse 7 says what Jesus offered. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 14 and John 16, I want you to have peace. This is the pathway to get there. See, Jesus said it, and I sounded like I was talking fluffy, like, okay, there's this peace. But actually, the Bible tells us the pathway to get into that place that Paul talks about and Jesus talks about and the disciples lived in. There's a way to get there. And he says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds, this is our surpasses all understanding, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will literally, now this is what we need. And I started, I know I got a little sciency today, but because your human body is putting up guards, and in fact, God needs to break down our guards, right? He needs to break it down. We even built up guards in our minds. We used to call them in church, uh, my mind, wow, my mind just went blank. Strongholds. 
We used to call them growing up strongholds. And there are these concepts. It's like if I were to hurt him here, right, and I hurt him in a certain way, it will take an act of God and a miracle of God for him to forgive me. Because even though he doesn't realize it, 20 years down the road, if he doesn't let the Lord deal with it and go through this process, when he sees my face internally, he may not even know why, but he's like, I don't like that person. Who's ever experienced that? I don't like them. You don't even remember the reason why you don't like them. Maybe you do, and then that's a deeper issue. Then you really haven't given it to the Lord. But the Bible says that we need the Lord to do something supernatural in us. He needs to break down our guards, but then this is what happens. See, the Lord doesn't abandon us. The, the, the biggest thing that was happening when Jesus was walking on the earth that they didn't get was Jesus was offensive. If Jesus hasn't offended you yet, he will. Because this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is offending your nature and your flesh. How can Jesus offend himself? If it's not I who lives, but Christ in me, and you are offended at Christ or at the scriptures or a concept in the word that you don't like, is it Christ in you that's offended at Christ? The Bible says, we know it clearly, Jesus says no kingdom can stand like that because any kingdom divided against itself will fall. So if I'm offended, that means that there is an issue in me that's still me. That's still my mind. That's still flesh. I'm still attached to this earth. And you know Jesus will intentionally offend you, not because he leaves you and abandons you. He already gave us that promise, but so that he can get into that place where you have actually blocked him out and you don't even know it. And when he gets in there, then he puts up his own. He makes his own habitation. He builds his own home in your heart, and he puts up his own guard. He guards our hearts and minds. This is what's interesting. Against yourself. Against, see, the, the devil cannot influence you. We know this. The book of James tells us. You cannot sin because the devil makes you sin. It's not spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally possible. The devil never made anyone sin. The Bible says we're drawn away by our own desires. But here's what happens. The devil and Eve and God were in the garden, right? In this beginning time. And the devil got Eve to look and make decisions based on her perceptions. The Bible says that she saw it, she looked, and it says that she said, I'll just paraphrase, she's like, that tree does look good. You're right, Satan. That's a good-looking tree. I never realized how good-looking that fruit is. Why would God want me to not have that? Why would God deny me of such a good-looking fruit? And what happened is, is she let the enemy in to this place in her, they make a covenant which blocked God out. We know this. Come on, this is this is the whole this is the whole gospel. It blocked God out. In fact, even though God loved them, we don't fully understand, but they weren't even allowed in heaven. They were in some sort of Abraham's bosom place. They were literally locked out of God's presence, and God still loved them. And you know, that's this is all like 
takes a lot longer to talk about in two minutes, but I, all you mature Christians, you know what I'm talking about. So Jesus finally goes down and preaches to them, right? Fast forward, Ephesians chapter 4. And, but God loved them, and yet the Bible says that Jesus and his blood had to be shed just to bring us back into that place of covenant that we had with him. But this is what's interesting now. So now fast forward, Jesus has shed his blood. The price has already been paid. But a person on the earth, it's not, it's not even, you can't even say deserve or whose fault. It's not even worth arguing about. You pointing at the devil, you did it to me. Adam, you did it to me. Forget all that. Doesn't really matter. All that matters is without Christ, we are separated from him, separated from God's presence. And the Bible says if we do not deal with this, this stronghold, this kingdom that we have right here, it's really, it's not the devil. The demon only can possess a person because the person says you're welcome here. Maybe they don't use those words, but when they start dabbling with witchcraft, they basically open doors and say, you know, when they, they're watching horror flicks, then they're saying, Satan, you're welcome in my life. And what's happened is, is this, this blockade that's so deep, you don't even know it, but it's been put up against the things of God. And then God speaks something, and what happens? We can see it in John chapter 6. They had made an agreement. They made a covenant with the devil because Jesus calls them out. He's like, I'm not the devil, and I don't work for the devil, but your father's the devil. And the Bible says when Jesus began to talk to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, concepts that were beyond their thinking. The Bible says, right, in John chapter 6, 6, 6, the saddest verse in the whole Bible, that many, because of offense, they turned and they followed him no more. And so there's a place in God that we must get to, and he tells us how to get there. He says, firstly, though, let me just finish this verse. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. See, we need him to, we, when we welcome him in, what I began to really seek the Lord about, and I know I'm wrapping up in time here, and we'll get more into this next week. But when I began to just look and ask the Lord, okay, how do you want to preach, how do you want to preach this? I began to just think about this. I just wrote down a very short list that God really gave us everything. He gave us his grace. He gave us strength. He gave us peace. He gave us his own Holy Spirit. Jesus said his commands, that they're for us. Jesus is even praying for us. And finally, Jesus even gave us his own name. He did not leave us. There is nothing that we don't have in him. But what's happening right now in us, in this earth is that whether you are aware of it or not, is that every single thing you hear, every single piece of God's wisdom and knowledge, every scripture that comes in here is actually coming through a filter. It's coming through past experiences. You know, some, you'll actually, you can preach a scripture and a person was preached a certain scripture in a certain way and the person will sit there and they will hear the scripture through the old preacher's mouth and not even through the way you're preaching it today, but they'll hear the theology in it from back then because that's our minds. And the Bible says this, this is the place we need to get to. We need a place where we are literally on the altar that there is no us anymore 
It says, His peace will guard our hearts and minds. This is what we need. We need God right now to guard our hearts and guard our minds. Because when we start hearing and we start seeing, it comes through these, the Bible calls them eye gates and ear gates. These are gateways into you. The things you see, the things you hear, you are perceiving and you start making micro calculations. Even you sitting there right now, whether you, you might be sitting there and you know what you're thinking and you may not know what you're thinking, but you're making calculations. You might be saying it's 1215. He should be wrapping up right now. You might be saying, I've heard this before. I'm just joking. But your mind is making calculations based on what I'm saying right now, whether you know it or not. And what we actually need is, I want to get rid of my filter. My filter says, uh, says, I don't like what I see. I see wind. I see waves. I'm hearing this. That hurts me. That offends me. I don't like that. This is a strike to me. You want to fight with me? I'll fight with you, right? And I need the Lord to take my filter, and he needs to crush it, and I want him to guard my mind. I want the Lord to put a supernatural guard up so that when someone's coming at me or things are coming at me and things I don't understand, all I find myself in is a place of peace because the Lord is supernaturally guarding me. And the way that the Holy Spirit does it is through submission to him. In order to get to, you have to ask for the Lord to put this guard up and to protect you. In fact, this is what it says, and I'm, I am finishing up, joking aside. As you live in Jesus Christ... It says, verse 8, and now, dear brothers, and you could go on, there's a lot more here, but we don't have time, but I'll just say this one verse here, is he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts. And there's a huge list here and a whole bunch of teaching, which we don't have time for right now, but he says, fix your thoughts. And this is basically what we need to do. Going back to verse 4, to be in joy and to not worry and to pray, that actually is what it takes. Dan doesn't like when I fluff his feathers, but I can't help it. Because what Dan has realized is Dan lives in peace. Anybody could recognize that Dan probably has, doesn't let much get to him. Do you think that that means that he doesn't think about things or that he doesn't experience hurts just because he doesn't ever act like it? But it's because Dan has decided, I'm going to be in joy even though I've got nothing to be joyful about. And I'm not going to worry. Instead, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to tell God what I need, and I'm going to thank him. And the Bible says, verse 7, then you will experience God's peace. It's so opposite, because the world says, if you don't have joy, tell everyone about it. Come on. But the Bible says, when I don't have joy, that I still need to have joy. And you're like, well, that's hard. Well, it's because you're trying to do it in your strength. What ends up happening is, is just like you have trained your human mind, and you didn't even know it, but you trained yourself to put the guard up. You know what? The longer you go, at the beginning, it's like learning to walk. You know, the baby is wobbling around, and you're so excited that they're walking. They take two steps, and they fall on their face, and you're like, you walked. You didn't walk, took a step. 
But eventually you learn to run. Amen. And even some run or can run now in under four minutes, a whole mile, and break world records. And they all started the same way. It's going to feel like that when you were like, you want me to be in joy now? And it will come at the worst moment in your life that the Lord will say, now's the moment I want you to put this scripture into practice. And the moment you do that, this is what happens. Eventually, it does become automatic. The mature Christian, the small stuff comes and the guard is already up. I've already trained my mind. This is what the mature Christian is saying. Devil, don't talk to me about the tree anymore. We've been there. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. You're not going to get me in the tree anymore. Eventually, the guard does go up. Doesn't mean he's not going to come harder and harder and harder and harder. But this is what it does. It trains yourself. We'll get more into this. You've been trained to rely on Jesus Christ in a way that you truly just keep, you just keep unloading it. I, I, I just feel like it needs to be said as my last statement. If you haven't seen God's miracle yet, then don't stop praying. If you haven't feel like you have a reason to have joy yet, then keep putting on his joy, which is supernatural, until you actually have a reason. Don't stop. That's the real thing. There's an old saying, if you're going through hell, don't stop. Right? If you stop going through hell, where are you going to be? Come on. <laughs> In hell. But on the other side of that place, come on, if we're going through it, Winston Churchill said that too. You just keep pressing on. We're going to keep pressing on, keep pushing on, and keep believing God that he's got a plan and a purpose. There's light on the other side of this tunnel. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord God, for your word. And I thank you, Lord. I pray that it must be like seed planted deep in good soil, God, today. I pray that the enemy would not let this be seeds just scattered on hard ground. And this would not be seed that goes in shallow ground and this would not be seed that goes in for a little while, but then, ah, whatever, and we just move on and we start thinking about our lives again. But, Lord, like good seed today from your word, your word deep in our soil, I pray it goes down deep and begins to grow and gives life to this body in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.